Welcome to Remnant Radio. Glad to have you listening. We're here to share Jewish testimonies about trusting in Yeshua, also known as Jesus. Our focus is to the Jew first and also the Gentile, because God has not rejected his people and has made the two one new man. Now, here are your hosts for Remnant Radio, Joseph Trocchio and Howard Somerville. Thanks, Eric. That was Eric Harthen, Metro Detroit's best voice actor. Well, it's September 12, 2017, and I'm here with Brother and Messiah Howard Somerville, and we are about to get into tonight's Messianic Jewish testimony. Howard, you want to say hi? Hello? Hey? Hello, everybody in Radio Land. Thank you, Howard. A few years ago, I Facebooked Jackie Fearman. <clears throat> I reached out to her because we have mutual friends and because Jackie is a missionary with Ariel Ministries. Ariel Ministries has been a blessing to many, many people around the world, myself included. So when I saw the opportunity to connect with her, I clicked add a friend, and since that period of time, we've been connected. Jackie will be telling her story of faith, and in a few minutes, I'll be reading her uh, Ariel Ministries bio, part of it at least. Then we will get into our talk. But before that, I want to remind our listeners what Remnant, uh, what the Remnant Radio podcast is all about. It's really very simple. We're a small group of Gentile believers in Yeshua, also known as Jesus, who want to bless the Jewish people with the Prince of Peace. We do this in the spirit of Romans 1, verse 16, and by sharing the testimonies of Jewish believers in Yeshua. Our hope is that seeking listeners will be encouraged by the stories of changed lives and take seriously the claims and teachings of Yeshua from the perspective of the Hebrew Scriptures, and then ultimately, of course, trust in Him. From, uh, from the Ariel Ministries bio, here's a brief description of Jackie. Uh, Jackie has been a Jewish believer since the age of 17, following a four-year process of searching for the truth about the identity of Jesus the Messiah. She has been raised, she had been raised in St. Louis, Missouri, in a conservative Jewish home and synagogue where, they received, where she received her religious education. After coming to faith, she encountered intense persecution from friends and family, but both of her parents eventually became believers in Jesus. After earning a Bachelor of Science in Medical Technology in 1979, she served as a missionary in a Bush hospital in Haiti with World Team Missions before attending seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. In 1986, she earned a master's level certificate of biblical studies with an emphasis in missions. She then learned French in Quebec City at Laval University for two years and began working as a missionary near Montreal with UFM International. She continued her work in Quebec City in 1990 which consisted of evangelism, both formal and informal discipleship of women, and also led a women's Bible study for 14 years. This is a quote from the founder and director of Ariel Ministries, Dr. Fruchtenbaum. Jackie Fuhrman is an exceptional teacher and communicator who presents thoughtful, reflective, and engaging topics. Jackie has a tremendous ability to develop a connection with the audience and relates with all levels of believers 
through her solid knowledge of Bible topics. Ms. Fearman has been with this ministry, uh, Aerial Ministries, since January of 2005, traveling and sharing about this unique ministry in Quebec, New Brunswick, Alberta, British Columbia, and the United States, as well as leading citywide weekly Bible studies in French, using aerial materials for groups that have participated from up to, 17, uh, up to 16 churches. She has also spoken on radio on numerous occasions on television and been a, a conference speaker at evangelical meetings as well as women's retreats. In June of 2008, she moved to Montreal to facilitate the ongoing work of the ministry. In just a minute, uh, we're going to introduce Jackie and, uh, and get on with the show. Question for you, Joe. What does she do in her spare time? How many, how many languages I, I, I does don't she know. speak? She's, 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 she's going to be speaking with us. <laughs> well, it's English, I would presume. And I think we all have some book, book, books from Aerial Ministry, right? I think we have a few, don't we? We got, we got a few. A few. Yeah. You want to name them? Uh, too many to remember. <laughs> <laughs> we have Israelology. We have Hamashiach. We have Footsteps of the Messiah. We have, uh, oh, I've got Yeshua, volumes one, two, three, and four, one autograph by Dr. Fruchtenbaum, and you ah, have one too. Yes, I have an autographed copy as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. So, great. Well, here we are with Jackie Fearman of Aerial Ministries. Uh, she called in uh, just a little while ago, and we got reacquainted, and she is about to uh, tell her story of faith. I have uh, I've seen her testimony and um, very clearly communicated and very meaningful, and she is a um, she's a knowledgeable person that loves Jesus. So Jackie, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. You're you're welcome, Howard. You wanna you wanna welcome Jackie? Uh, welcome, <laughs> Jackie. I have not heard your testimony, so I'm uh, excited to hear it for the first time. Well, I'm privileged to be able to share it with you. I'm working on my autobiography so that even more people will hear the amazing things that God did. A man who filmed my testimony named it Relentless Pursuit. So you'll hmm. see that theme throughout the testimony. Great. Why don't you start, Jackie? And every once in a while, just, uh, just to remind all of us of the format here, if if something comes up that I think, hey, look, my gut tells me we've got to kind of zero in on this and focus on it for the listeners, I'll, I'll probably interrupt you. But uh, for the most part, um, you're going to be close to autopilot. So uh, go. That's fine. All right, go ahead, what Jackie. Great. Go ahead. Well, I'd like to start off by saying that some people who listen to me will find some things in common with me, and I hope not the most difficult parts of my testimony, but a lot of Jewish people will identify with different things that I'll be sharing with you today because every Jewish person has to think about these things before making a, a leap of faith like this. So I'll start off by telling you a little bit about my family history, and then I'll go into my spiritual history, and then really you should be thinking, how did you get here? How did you get to this place where you believe in Yeshua as the Messiah? So I'll start by talking about my family. My family history is sadly not a very pleasant one. 
My mother struggled with mental illness her whole life, starting at about age 19. And sadly, there were no medications available for the, it's now called bipolar disease. And so she was on various drugs. She was hospitalized a good part of her early adulthood and actually didn't raise the three siblings that I have. It was um, not her mother, but my dad's mother who raised them. And I'm the only child of the four of us that she actually raised, and she was at home um, nearly the whole time that I was uh, um, a child and in grade school and junior high and high school. So it's um, unfortunate that there was no medication. She was sort of used as a guinea pig uh, for lithium when it was first developed. She had a frontal lobotomy when it was still being done and was the only person that day of the surgery of the eight people she's the only one who lived through the surgery now the different drugs they were giving her were not really handling her needs very well and she would scream at me every day now i have blocked off this memory because i guess children do that as a survival thing and gratefully i I don't remember any of it, but my sister, who's 15 and a half years older and remembers very well, said that my mother would scream at me every single day until she had totally crushed me and dominated me, and then I would burst into tears at the end, and then she would stop, and then she would put her arms around me and hug me and tell me that she loved me, and for a child, this is incomprehensible what that love means and according to my sister this happened pretty much this happened every day for the first six years of my life I've often been asked what happened after six years and I actually have never asked her that so I don't know but uh, essentially the first six years of my life this was daily emotional and psychological violence that um, was inflicted on me and now my mother did not pass on her spiritual beliefs to my siblings, but she did to me. And two of them are so valuable that I would go through all of that abuse again just to have these two ideas deeply implanted in me because this is what gave me hope. And what are those two ideas? The first one is that the scriptures, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketubim, the, the law, the uh, prophets and the writings – these were God's words. These were words that God inspired, and they were true. Now, my siblings have never believed that, and I always have. The second belief is that there was a personal Messiah who was going to come to this planet from God and who was going to bring peace on the earth. And believe me, if there was some place that needed peace, it was my household. And so... These two beliefs that were instilled in me at an early age helped me to survive because I knew that Messiah could save me from the endless um, times of being terrorized by my mother. And if he could bring peace to the whole planet, he could sure bring peace to my family. And I put all my hope then in the fact that that Messiah would come one day. And so when I went to a synagogue free Passover, 
I looked for that Messiah to come because I knew he would come and he would save me from my home situation. And so I would learn all the things I was supposed to as the youngest child, the four questions. I would clean and work hard as a little girl and um, get dressed to the nines and be ready for my Messiah to Mm. show up at my door, which I faithfully believed would happen and uh, was very excited about the prospect of meeting him and having my life changed. I didn't know that I would have to meet him in a different way than I imagined to have my life change. But I would go to the door at the designated time during the Passover meal to greet the Messiah. And I was taught the Messiah would come on a uh, donkey, actually a white donkey, and that the one leading him would be Elijah, who would precede him. And so I would go to the door all excited. This was the moment of the evening I'd been waiting for, the best part. And I'd anxiously go to the front door and throw it open and expect to see the Messiah. And he wasn't there. And I'd wait a few seconds and think, okay, he's just coming here. And Jackie, come back to the table. Jackie, can I I interrupt? I got to say something. I got to ask something. And I got this from Dr. Fruchtenbaum. This is very interesting. When you mentioned the donkey, you know, some people hear that and they think, okay, he came into the city riding on a donkey. And what's the big deal about that? Obviously, it's it's a prophetic fulfillment. But evidently, that donkey had the capacity to buck him off, but did not. Is that right? Did I hear? Did I read that right? Of course. Yes, well, that donkey had never been ridden on, according to the the gospel writers. And so we know that when someone is breaking in a a horse or any animal that uh, can be ridden, the first time you put a weight on it, especially a person, that animal is going to buck and react. And yet uh, Yeshua shows that his power is over all of creation by the fact that that donkey submitted to allowing someone to sit on him. Wow, cool. All right. I I had to throw that in there because I just read that the other day. So go ahead. All right. So Mm -hmm. you were expecting expecting the Messiah at Passover. By the way, that verse is Zechariah 9.9, where it says, uh, Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, which is the word for Jesus, Yeshua. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, why I thought it was a white donkey, I can't tell you. Um, But that's what I was taught, is the short answer. And so they would call me back to the table, Jackie, come back to the table. You know, he's not coming this year. And I'd say, no, 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 we've got to wait a little longer. He's just around the corner. I know he's coming. And I would stay at the door and anxiously look around and maybe even step outside to look and see how far down the street he had come. And uh, Jackie, come back to the table. How can the Messiah be everywhere at the same time? And I said, look, Christians believe in their Santa Claus being everywhere at the same time. And this is not Santa Claus. This is God. He can do anything. And uh, But eventually they would 
tear me away from the front door in tears. So let, let me I ask would you something. Have to wait let, another year. Let, let me ask you something. You you understood at a young age that the Messiah would be divine, but some today do not believe that the Messiah is divine. In the, in the, I didn't in the, believe that the Messiah was divine. You, that's not quite true. I believed that God was going to mm. send the Messiah. Oh, okay. All right, I got but you. That the Messiah. I did not learn that the Messiah was divine. No. At that time, okay, I got you. But God was sending. God was in charge of sending the Messiah, and so He could do anything. Okay, got it. I knew that the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah and the house of David, which made him a man. Got it. So then I would go back to the table, and Daddy would sort of uh, use his knee to move one of the legs of the table, and the wine in the a cup for Elijah would move a little, and he'd say, see, the spirit of Elijah is here. And I, at first, of course, didn't know what he was doing, but to me that was not at all enough to have the spirit of Elijah when I wanted the Messiah. He was the main right. main. Um, Thing in, in my waiting. So this went on, um, and I, uh, year after year, and it was very difficult, and yet there was no answer. Now, um, I think I'll finish up. I'll just uh, leave it there. I mean, my, I'll, I guess I can add one other thing about my childhood. When I was three, she was studying to be a teacher and was in the university by then in college, and she was reading her abnormal child psychology book and saw that I really fit to a T the portrait of a child who would grow into um, behavior to try and deaden the pain of the abuse in, mm. in my history. and using drugs or whatever, and then to pay for that, I would probably turn to crime, possibly prostitution, and maybe, and certainly end up as a juvenile delinquent who would commit suicide by the age of 20. And other health professionals, mental health professionals I consulted in later years said they could see that as well, that I was, if this had continued, I probably would have never lived past the age of 20. And then my favorite words, but God. But God had another plan, hmm. and didn't I didn't reach the age of 20 before meeting that Messiah who would change my life. So when my sister saw me looking at the ground when I was three years old and never even looking in people's eyes when they spoke to me, she said to my parents that something was wrong with Jackie. And... My parents didn't know how to change. My father was absent frequently. He was trying to make a living to pay for all of my mother's medications and uh, treatments and therapy and everything. And he was gone about one week out of two. So he was fairly absent. My mother was, you know, something to deal with in terms of her temper. And um, then my siblings were not much in the picture either for different reasons. So... Back to so that pretty much wraps up my family history, and I'll talk a little bit about my spiritual history. Mm -hmm. Now, I went to a different synagogue than my siblings. Why is that? It's because uh, my parents were raised Orthodox, they were born in the United States, their parents were not, except for one, and they came from Eastern Europe. and to flee the pogroms, the attacks on Jewish people in Eastern Europe, in Russia, 
and in Romania. Now it's modern-day Moldova. And my parents um, were born here, and they were raised Orthodox, but there was a movement about in the 40s that hit them and called the Reform Jewish Movement. And they got into that, and it's much, it's very liberal in its thinking. And so my father and my mother went to a Reform temple, and with the four of us children, on one time, I don't remember exactly when, but we only went usually during the High Holy Days. Uh, we would call it Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur, but this is the Feast of Trumpets and uh, the Day of Atonement. Mm. And my father was asked by an usher to remove his head covering, to remove his kippah, his yarmulke, as we say in Yiddish. And kippah is Hebrew. And so he was outraged and asked why, and he was told by this usher that in this Reformed temple they didn't wear those. Well, he was so upset and angry, he said, that's it. My youngest child, she's going to get an education, and we all stood up and marched out of the temple that day and never went back. And next thing you know, my father had us going to a conservative synagogue, and so this is sort of middle of the road between Orthodox and Reformed Judaism. And so that's where I got my Jewish education, whereas my siblings had pretty much finished their Jewish education by the time I was born, and so... They grew up with these liberal ideas mm. that the Bible is not God's word, Scripture is not God's word, and that there is no personal Messiah at all. So the very things that my mother had taught me were repeated to me at the conservative mm. synagogue, and that affirmed those two anchors, which really kept me going. Now, Amazing. I was taught when I was 12 years old that if somebody I was taught the very sad history of quote-unquote Christianity, which I prefer to call churchianity because it's really not what a Christian or someone who follows the Messiah would be like in the persecution of Jewish people, whether it's 2,000 years ago or we look more recently 1,000 years ago to the Crusades uh, killing us or the in the Spanish Inquisition with long swords being put to our throat and being told convert or die. I tell people by no means have I ever converted um, hmm. from Judaism. I am a converted sinner. I made shuva. Hmm. I turned. And that is what repentance means. But I am not a, you know, I live in Canada now, so... I actually converted from Fahrenheit to Celsius, but that's it. Um, I don't uh, – and my Uncle Ben's rice is converted, and that's it. That's all. But I'm not a converted Jew whatsoever. I was born a Jew. I'll die a Jew, just like my father would say. Now, the um, uh, at this conservative synagogue, I was taught that because of this persecution, whether it was the Crusades – uh, and they had these big crosses on their shields, and in 1099 A.D., or I would say um, uh, C.E., hey, hey, the Common Era, which hey, is Jackie, how Jewish people use the dating hey, Jackie, system. Can I, Jackie, they, can we just, um, Jackie, can we back yes. up just a second? I, I, this is, I don't know if I'm thinking of others or just thinking of myself or what, but this idea, I just want to go back. I was debating on whether I, I should interrupt you or not, but you had mentioned that you were born a Jew and you were going to die a Jew. And this is very interesting because talking with a lot of people, typically Gentiles, 
um, when the subject of you know he or she is Jewish, the first thing that thought that people think of is something religious, but actually it's something ethnic. And I've and and I'm going to thank Dr. Fruchtenbaum for clarifying that. But I, I wanted to I wanted to bring that into this conversation because I and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think even a lot of Jewish people even wrestle with that type of identity, that type of understanding that it's not just simply um, it's not about a religion or a faith or anything like that. It's an ethnic thing. I think that is so important for people to understand. I've got to I just got to throw that in there. And if you can give me an amen or correct me or whatever, yes, well, run with that. that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, but, uh, you know, two Jews, three opinions, right? So mm, we yeah. all have different views on this one. Even when the state of Israel tried to define Jewishness, they had a hard time doing it. And th- you have more definitions than you have uh, people almost. And <laughs> so, yes, you have to remember that Judaism is a religion. But you know what? There is a difference in between biblical Judaism, I am a Mm. biblical Jew, Mm. and rabbinic, made by the rabbis, rabbinic Judaism, because in in 70 AD, after the fall of the temple, um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was let out, he was let, uh, he escaped, let's say, he was let over a wall with a basket, similar to stories we've read about in the New Testament, and was able to escape during when the siege was uh, let up, and uh, or just after, I guess, and escaped to a place called Yavne. And in Israel, in Yavne, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and a bunch of others reinvented Judaism mm. without the temple. And that is a that was a new religion that he invented, and I will call that rabbinic Judaism. But I only adhere to what is in Scripture. So I am a biblical Jew. Now, to give you an example of certain things that the rabbis decided that are not in the Bible, we see in the Scripture, in the Torah, it's very clear that if your father is a Jew, then you are a Jew. Otherwise, we would have two of the 12 tribes not being Jews because Joseph's wife was Mm. Egyptian. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, Mm. shows that Jewish descendancy is patrilineal. It comes from the father. But because of all the sexual assaults on Jewish women from different peoples, the rabbis decided, I believe it was during the Hellenism um, attempt to Hellenize Jewish people uh, before Rome, that now anybody who was born of a Jewish mother, we could at least know for sure that -hmm. even though we don't know who the father is, we know that the baby came out of this mother, and so that makes the child a Jew. Got it. And so they changed uh, the rules, and so this is uh, why, unless, Joe, uh, you can change who your grandfather was, then you can't change whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew. Mm. I can't change who my grandfather was. My mom's dad's name was Jacob, and I tell people there was another one, and I (laughs) talk about my great-great and about... 35 greats. Uh, mm-hmm. Grandfather was Jacob, and his dad was Isaac, and his dad was Abraham, and that's what makes me a Jew, and there's nothing that can change that. Awesome. Jackie Howard here. Um, just a quick question, and your 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 story is absolutely fascinating. I'm anticipating hearing the, uh, the conversion part, but uh, where did you grow up? Uh, maybe I missed that, but... Uh... Oh, sure. 
Well, um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which proves it because I didn't say Missouri. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And, and how is there, at the time that you grew up there, was there a large Jewish community there in St. Louis? Or? Yes, pretty much. I lived in a place called U-City for University City, and we called it Jew-City. Um, so I lived in a Jewish neighborhood in my school, public school. We by no means could afford a private school. I mean, the idea of Jews being rich is, you know, a myth. But uh, 70 to 75 percent of my public school mates were Jewish. So I lived in a Jewish neighborhood. Now, I don't know. I never heard statistics as to the size of the Jewish community in St. Louis. But I will say that when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, I didn't know of a large Orthodox or very religious Jewish community. It was more conservative and uh, majority, I believe, of Jewish people were Reform Jews. And when I later became a member of the, um, it's called B'nai B'rith Girls, uh, it's p- part of the anti uh, well, Benabrith, let's just say. Um, then I uh, was with a lot of girls who were from Reformed Judaism, but I don't know the size of the Jewish community in St. Louis. Thank you. Uh, where, where were we? You were shortly, you were telling, born a Jew, you're die a Jew. Oh, yes. Okay. You were a little, right. well, a little yeah, after that. Yeah, we have the attacks. These are the main attacks mm. that, you know, the big waves I heard about, of course, were the. Uh, Crusades, like I was saying, in 1099, they rounded up all the Jewish people in Jerusalem and locked them up in the synagogue and torched it. We are horrified when ISIS burns one person to death, and it is truly horrifying, but they burned all the Jews and the entire synagogue down in one act of what they called worship because they were singing, Christ, we adore thee, as they marched around the synagogue and guarded it to make sure no one escaped and everyone died. And I'm told, Jackie, that's what a Christian is. Mm. So you don't want to be one of those. And then you hear convert or die from the those who are um, in the Spanish Inquisition, where they would run us through a river and then horror of horrors tell us we'd been baptized, which a Jew will tell you once you're baptized, you can never go back to what you were. And so this was horrible. And then I was taught very clearly that in the Holocaust, Hitler was Christian and was, um, in fact, said that he was doing Martin Luther's uh, wishes. And so, and Nazi belt buckles said in German, my German's not good because I never really learned it, but Gott mit uns, that said that God is with us. And so every Jew who could see a Nazi belt buckle saw that they were claiming basically to be Christians. The twisted cross is what a swastika is. And so, do you, Jackie, want to be a part of them? Never. And I was taught when I was 12, if somebody corners you and forces you to believe in their Jesus, kill yourself. Find a way to commit suicide. Now, at age 12, that's not too clear how to do that. But at age 13, I watched the movie The Exodus, based on the book by Leon Uris with Paul Newman, and most Jewish people have seen this, the story of the ship called the Exodus that uh, came to Israel when it was under the British mandate and got people from Europe into Israel. 
And I saw that there were two groups that were armed, that had armed themselves against the British and trying to get rid of the British at that time so that they could found the state of Israel. And there were, uh, one was called the Haganah, which gave rise to what is now the Israeli Defense Force, and the other one is called the Irgun, and the Irgun were more violent. And I looked at them and said, you know what? They killed us in the Crusades. They killed us in the Inquisition. They killed us in the Holocaust. Why should I kill myself if they try to force me to believe in Jesus? I'll kill them. Mm. I'll join a militant Mm. group. And I found out about the Jewish Defense League, whose goal is not to attack Christians, but to defend Jewish people from threats, whether they're physical threats or spiritual threats. Mm. And so I was taught that, again, it's better to be dead than to betray all of your people back 4,000 years to Abraham. But I decided I wasn't going to die. I would fight back and attack anybody who tried to attack me. And so their insignia uh, has a Star of David and a fist, and under it it says, never again. Mm. Never again, the Crusades. Never again, the Inquisition. Never again, the Holocaust will get you. Mm. And so that symbol is one that I graffitied onto each and every one of my notebooks for each subject that I had in school for four years. Um, From the age of 13 to 17, I put that on every single notebook because that is what I was going to do with my life was to defend Jewish people from Christians who were going to try to convert them and um, kill them spiritually. Now, um, I was taught about Jesus. I was taught that he was a good guy, that he was Jewish, and um, he was a prophet and maybe a rabbi, and then he cracked mentally. Mm. Because you've heard people say that you have to decide who Yeshua is. Was he a liar? Was he uh, a lunatic? Or was he really the Lord? And I was taught the second one, that he went crazy, that he decided he was God. He had grandeurs of divinity, and that, of course, God had to kill him because he couldn't let any person on the planet live and decide they were God. Now, according to that theory, I believe Shirley MacLaine should have been dead much earlier because uh, she's claimed to be God, and I think Oprah Winfrey might have too, but I'm not sure. But um, they hadn't made their pronouncements by that time, but that is what happened to Jesus. And then the Romans crucified him, and then the Jewish people were blamed for killing him, and so that's why they've been killing us ever since. Unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable. Under the name of Jesus. Just a just a whole big bucket of lies and deceptions. Amazing. Go ahead. Yeah, well, there's a very sad but hard saying that is that for a Jewish person to come to faith in Jesus, they have to climb over a mountain of Jewish corpses murdered in the name of Jesus. Oh, that one. Wow, wow, wow. That's like the ones I just talked to you about, yeah. those were major movements, but my grandparents escaped the pogroms. It's like the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Um, it's made humorous, but it was now it's called ethnic cleansing. But it's um, it's dark, you know, killing. It's genocide. It's genocide. So um, this is uh, what I was going to do with my life, and that might lead you to ask me, <laughs> how did I get here? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that was the next question. Yeah, Howard's <laughs> chomping at the bit over here. Yes. 
How did you go from there? Come on, Jackie. Say it. <laughs> what happened? All right. Well, uh, the first major event happened when uh, that very year when I decided that I would dedicate my life to the Jewish Defense League. And there was, um, in the early 70s, uh, there was a movement in the schools to teach things in innovative ways. And so our teachers decided not to teach Julius Caesar in eighth grade like they mm. had before, but to take an opera off of Broadway and teach that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my school was 70, 75% Jewish. So it was quite a shock to hear that our Jewish English teachers decided to have all of the eighth grade students study Jesus Christ Superstar, which was on Broadway at the time. And maybe they thought they could get us interested more in English, and I don't know. Anyway, they handed out um, mimeographs. I don't know how many of the listeners will remember mimeographs. It was the way you copied things before photocopies, and basically it was, you know, you could almost get high just off the chemicals yes. from that. You didn't need drugs. I remember it, it well. It just made you sick. <laughs> <laughs> you never forget that smell. You'd sniff them. <laughs> So they handed out this, uh, their, they, it's blue, kind of blue-purple print thing, and uh, we all got confused. We didn't understand what was going on. There were, you know, groups of people I'd never heard of, and the Jewish teachers probably thought it was safe because they wrongly, uh, the, the, the writer of Superstar was Jewish, and uh, of course, Jesus is not um, really the Messiah the way he writes it, and there is no resurrection like Isaiah 53 tells us the Messiah will be resurrected, just like the uh, Chabad uh, Lubavitch people are still waiting for Rabbi Menachem Schneerson to rise from the dead over 20 years after his death. It's clear that Jewish people believe in the resurrection of the Messiah, but uh, they missed it first mm. time. Anyway... So uh, in Superstar, he does not resurrect, and so they probably thought it was safe to have the kids study this. Well, I don't know if you've ever studied for tests. I'm sure you have, but here we have at least, I think I counted three different Marys, and none of them had last names. So how do you study for the test? Which Mary does what? I don't know, and we were all confused. So the teachers realized they were in over their head, and unbeknownst to me, there was a student, and she'll be in my book one day, um, she suggested to the teachers that a Jesus expert come and straighten us all out. And the teacher accepted wow. and got us all together in one classroom for the Jesus expert to come and explain. And we probably broke all the fire codes by having 100 students in one small classroom. And, uh, you know, we were at the desks, under the desks, on the desks, in the window wells, everywhere. So we crowded in. Like I said, there were students at the desks, on the desks, under the desks, in the window wells, everywhere, to hear this Jesus expert. And I sat pretty much in the center of the classroom toward the front to watch exactly what this guy was going to say and if he was going to try to convert us. Remember, converting is worse than death. And it wasn't long that he, the first minute or so, he picked up this big black book, which I was convinced was a Bible. And he was trying to convert us, essentially. I figured out, didn't take long at all. 
And I looked over to the side of the classroom where our teacher, Miss Levitz, Levi Levitz, obviously she's Jewish, because um, she's going to stop this guy. She's not going to let him talk, of course, and he just keeps going. And I waited about a minute, a minute and a half, and thought, no way can this guy do this. So I, one thing I didn't mention, that's true, about my childhood is that I stuttered about every other word. I could not even speak to a group of two or three people without stuttering, was unable to get words out. And so it was very, anyway, very difficult for me growing up. But I stood up at that point in the middle of the classroom and pointed right at that man and said, Mr., you've got to stop speaking right now. What you're doing is against, and I just made the rest up, the U.S. Constitution, the separation of church and state. And I turned to my teacher and said, Miss Levitz, if you don't have this man stop speaking right now, I'm marching out that door to the assistant principal's office, and I will have your job. And um, the man stopped speaking. And a very sad story, but uh, yes, I uh, stopped the man from speaking, and then he handed out little – now, everything was yellow and orange in the 70s. That was the color. So he had a little – booklet that was orange and i marched right up to the front to shred it in front of his very eyes to show him what i thought of his stuff wow. and lo and behold it was the gospel of john and jewish people don't write out the name of god uh, completely with all the letters they mm-hmm. write g dash d or l dash r d and because if you destroy that piece of paper you've done something to god's name you've desecrated it and so i uh, ended up not being able to tear between the lines because so they'd written out God in all the letters and wow. with all the letters in front and back <laughs> and every page, and I couldn't get between the lines, and I was very flustered, and finally I just stuffed it into my pocket and uh, walked out. Class was out early because I had managed to end it. Uh, I just hid it in the back of my underwear drawer, which was a place I was sure no one ever looked because now that I had this booklet, this was contraband. How can I – this had to be buried with the ceremony because God's name is all written out with all the letters. jeez. Oh, I mean, I was well taught in the synagogue. I was still in synagogue. I was sort of a part of what I – I was sort of the self-appointed synagogue police. Um, I decided that, you know, the kids who were spending all their charity money at the candy store should move away from there and put their money in the charity envelope, the Tadaka envelope, and, you know – they shouldn't be smoking in the bathrooms or in the bathrooms at all that long and yank them out. And, you know, I was self-appointed police to make sure because I wanted to be in – we went to Sunday school um, on Sunday, not Saturday because mm. you can't write on the Sabbath. That's work, wow. or it used to be when you had a hammer and a chisel. So <laughs> we go to religious training on Sunday. And uh, so I was – I did all 10 years of my Sunday school and got straight A's and signed a special document that I was, you know, the best of the best. And so um, I knew that uh, if I didn't defend those kids from this Jesus expert, maybe nobody would because I was sort of a zealot myself. Hmm. Now, um, I didn't end up looking at that booklet because I knew it was contraband, but I did keep it. So we'll jump forward a few years now to when I was 16, and there was in St. Louis a uh, a seminary, I'm sure it's still there, called Concordia Lutheran Seminary. It's a center for a lot of uh, a lot of German 
uh, immigrants move to the Midwest because that's where um, the terrain is most like Germany that they came from. And so there are a lot of Lutherans in St. Louis. And so there was a split going on in the seminary there, and it made local news every day. And so me and my friends, we decided to, we started talking about religion and what everybody believed. And um, a friend uh, asked me to go to church with her. Well, I was never going to do that. And But she was persistent. She went to a Baptist church, an American Baptist church. I don't even know if that denomination still exists. And finally she said, Jackie, you should come. We're having a potluck with homemade hand-cranked chocolate ice cream afterwards. And I thought, oh, how long does your service last? One hour? Oh, okay. I can put up with that for an hour for one hour of hand-cranked chocolate ice cream. So that's what got me to church. Baptists believe in food, and so do Jews. So uh, (laughs) that was a language I understood. Now, one of the things I didn't mention that came out of that time when Jesus Christ Superstar was... Uh, very popular on the radio, different songs, was that one of the songs, um, you might have heard a song today or over the weekend that stays in your head for a while. Well, there was a song to Superstar that was the theme song, and it went like this. Now, I knew that saying Jesus and Christ together was a sin because Christ meant Messiah and Jesus was no Messiah, Hmm. and so that was sin. But the song went like this. The words were, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who are you? What have you sacrificed? So the words to that song, I didn't want in my head because I knew it was sin to put Jesus and Christ together. And so, um, you know, thought of it, that song for a little while, but uh, it didn't stick with me for just a few days or a week or a month. That song stayed in my head for four years. Who are you? What have you sacrificed? I could not get that out of my head. Hmm. And I actually finally decided it was demonic Hmm. because I um, had no other explanation for it Um, because it was about Jesus. It was so incredibly powerful. It was powerfully good or powerfully evil. Hmm. And because it was about Jesus, and we know what happened to us because of Jesus, then it had to be powerfully evil. So Hmm. this had to be demonic. Well, when this friend invited me to her church, I, of course, wore my Jewish jewelry, kind of like a talisman to keep away anything evil. And um, during the service, I mean, I could go into detail on how it was such a big cross-cultural event for me. And anyway, I don't have time to talk about that, but it's very different for a Jew to be in a church. Mm-hmm. And so I, it came the time when this Baptist pastor gave an invitation to believe in Jesus. And I felt like somebody had grabbed me, grabbed my my shirt or my dress, and pulled me toward the aisle. And I stiffened up and thought, what's that? And I thought, it's that thing. It's that thing that's been after me for, you know, three years already. Um, This superstar thing, this this demonic whatever. But what nerve, you know? uh, This is happening in a church. Now, churches, I know, is where they believe in three gods. They are polytheistic idolaters. They believe in three gods is what I was taught. And so how this spirit thing had the nerve to come after me in a place where they thought they were worshiping God, of course they weren't because they believed in the Trinity, um, I thought was um, outrageous. Now, of course, Jewish people defend their belief 
in saying that, of course, we only believe in one God, and they speak about um, Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, uh, uh, or Hashem, you know, they would say it that way, but Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But what they don't know is that that one, the word one, is a composite oneness, like when a man and a woman are married and become one. Now, let me interrupt you there because this is the this is the great subject. Clarify that because it's um, when you say it's like when a man and a woman become one. Yes, but that's the that's the same word that's used in Scripture when the two become one flesh. It's this. It's not your theory or your idea. It's clearly stated oh, no. in Scripture, right? The, the word is echad, and echad is a plural oneness, whereas the word yahid is a singular oneness, like you and I have one head on our shoulders and only one, I would have expected that word to be used. The Lord mm -hmm. is Yahid, mm -hmm. um, meaning one and only one, and no question about it. But that's not the word that God chose. He chose the word Echad, which is the same word as like we just said, when the two become one flesh, this is a plural oneness. And there, it's our Ezekiel, the sign of the two sticks. He holds two sticks together with his hand, and it's called an echad because it's only one stick, but you know there are two pieces to it being held together. It's a composite oneness. And so the very words of the Shema, which I use to defend against the Trinity, are the very words that actually prove that there's a plurality now. Uh, some of your listeners might have heard of the Zohar. This is, and if they haven't heard of the Zohar, this they've certainly heard of Kabbalah. Certainly, uh, we have uh, oh, what's her name? I can't think of her name. The singer Madonna, Madonna who was into Kabbalah, and uh, this is a uh, Jewish mysticism that uh, arose in the 17th century, and in the book Zohar Bamidbar, uh, which is um, uh, actually chapter three. It says about is a commentary about this verse. The midbar is the word of the word um, is the book of Deuteronomy, and so it says they are two, and one is joined to them, making three. And when they are three, they are one. So how are there three in that verse? Hero Israel, the Lord. That's one. Our God is two. The Lord is one. That's three. So. Uh, the Zohar, which is Jewish mysticism written 1,600 years after Yeshua, they are two, and one is joined to them, making three, and when they are three, they are one. Now, that's Jewish uh, you know, teachers and rabbis, if you will. Yeah. And then that uh, passage in uh, another passage in the Zohar called Shema, um, Mehema, it says, these three are one. How can the three names, in the word name uh, we have capitalized, how can the three names be one? Only through the perception of faith, in the vision of the Holy Spirit, in the beholding of the hidden eyes alone. So only through eyes of faith can you see him. There's a, a song, it says, in Torah and Nevi'im, in the Law and the Prophets, the, in Torah and Nevi'im, the eye of faith can see him. And this is exactly what the Zohar is saying. These three are one. 
That's incredible. Through the perception of faith, in the vision of the Holy Spirit, and the beholding of the hidden eyes alone. That's commentary on Deuteronomy 6.4 from the Zohar. 1,600 years after and, Jesus and uh, yeah. whatever, 3,000 years after, after Moses. Yes? Well, not 3,000. Uh, Moses, at 3,000 years, um, it would be 25 years, 2,500 years after Abraham. Um, and um, no, Moses the Zohar, was 500 Zohar years would after be, Abraham. Zohar would be 1,600. 2,000. 2,000. I got it. I got it. Up here. I got it. It's a long time. It was fifteen from fifteen hundred. Oh, you're right. Three thousand years. Yeah, that's incredible. Right. Three thousand years. Yeah, there you go. Respecting the concept of a, a triunity. Yes, there is a triunity. There are not three gods. There are. There is one God. So I uh, listened. To, you know, I I, I I I of course resisted that call to believe in Jesus and thought my parents would, you know, I could never believe that. And then my best friend um, afterwards said, well, you went to her church, you should come to my church. Well, I'd already done the church thing once. I decided I would never do that again. And when she invited me, then I, um, uh, I don't know, she pestered me to death. And finally I went, even though there was no chocolate ice cream and uh, wearing my Jewish jewelry again to protect me. And I don't remember anything of what the pastor said, but I remember that invitation again. And um, again, felt that tug to go to the aisle, to go up front. And I thought, if I believed this, my parents would kill me. Now you hear the movement there? From, I could never believe this, mm -hmm. to, if I believed this. Hmm. Wow, okay. And now that summer, starting to soften my... Up. Um, yeah. Huh. That summer... Um, the younger of my two brothers invited me to go on a trip with uh, him and his wife and uh, to many different states and eventually ended up in New England. And while we were in the home of her parents, I had a lot of time on my hands and went into their study to look for a book to read. Nobody was home at the time. And I saw a book that I knew was going to explain to me why Christians were violent people because it could have been about gas chambers or long swords or daggers. It didn't matter. But this book, and, and crosses, because that's what the cross is always associated with, but this one was called The Cross and the Switchblade. Mm. And I thought, well, Christians and violence, of course, they always go together. That's what Christians are. I don't know why they're violent people, but maybe this book will help me understand why they're so violent. So I... Um, decided to read the book it kind of the title kind of jumped out at me and i thought wow this is a great thing to um maybe will explain to me well it was not about that at all it's about a man who is um helping street kids in new york city with drug habits and crime and um all sorts of i don't know problems alcoholism to um know their god and it wasn't at all about Christians and themselves being violent, but they talked about the Trinity. They talked about a Holy Ghost. Well, that really scared me. I mean, ooh, it sounded really spooky. And um, I actually read the whole book in one sitting and one day. Wow. And I said, 
I actually got on my knees next to the bed at the end of that day when nobody was with me and said, God, if all this is true, then show me. And if not, please, please, please forgive me for asking. I'm sorry I didn't mean it. I'll never do it again. Don't strike me dead. Because I thought I was going to be killed on the spot for asking God if he could exist as a threesome. Wow. And that was really my question. How can that be? It's like asking God if Muhammad was his son. I mean, this was (laughs) unheard of. Wow. And God did answer that sincere prayer in many ways. Um, And I'll just share a few things of what happened. One of the things was that he, um, well, I bought a a record album in um, Boston. I used to like Peter, Paul, and Mary. And this album was from the member of the group called Paul, and uh, whose name is Paul. And so the album was called Paul and. And sure enough, it had Christian music on it. And I was so surprised, but it was talking about Jesus. And that was only a couple weeks after I prayed that mm-hmm. prayer. And then um, about a, a month, I would say, after that, I was with a group of Jewish kids at a Cardinal baseball game in St. Louis. And Jews love baseball. There's a whole movie that Canada put out called Jews and Baseball. And it um, uh, something happened that we just past September 11th again, and this has not been able to happen since September 11th, but a helicopter flew over Bush Stadium and dropped confetti. Now, today, people would be all up in arms. It couldn't happen, and, you know, they'd think it was anthrax being thrown out there and, you know, (laughs) terrorism. But these were $20 bills that came floating down out of the sky, and the kids, everybody in the stadium is running after these things. They're folded up in four, and I was with a bunch of kids. We're all scrambling after them, you know, pulling them out of each other's hands because we want more. And finally, uh, you realize there are no more, and you have your seven or ten $20 bills, and you go to count them all up, and you open up the first one. And it says, disappointed? You won't be if you attend First Church of God. (laughs) And I thought, what is this? And then there were four sentences I didn't know what they were, but they all ended with the word Romans and some numbers. And so you could say God answered me right out of the sky, (laughs) sent an answer, because that was a gospel message. It had the four basic basic ideas about me being a sinner and having done things against a holy God and needing forgiveness that comes only through... Uh, the atonement that is that happens when there is a blood sacrifice, and that I needed to put all of my trust in the atonement of Jesus for paying for my sins, and then I would be forgiven those sins and have eternal life and begin a new relationship with God. I kept that. I think I still have it somewhere. I'm not sure, but... Uh, then, um, not long after that, I was about a month or two after that, I was shopping with my best friend again and saw a business card lying on the ground. And it was, uh, it said, need good news? And I said to my friend Bev, I said, there's no good news, it's the Vietnam War. <laughs> Which is 
is something when you're 16 years old and yeah. you're already cynical. Yep. And afterwards, after that, it said, uh, call 24 hours a day recorded message. And Bev said, why don't you call it and tell me what it says? And I said, it's dirty. And she picked it up and brushed it off and handed it to me. And I kind of dutifully opened up my purse and let it fall in, <laughs> knowing that that was a death wish and never would it be seen again. Because my purse was a deep hole. <laughs> and um, in the meantime, I started to, um, it was my senior year of um, high school. I wanted to bring up my grade point and my friend's had suggested I take this course, and I had some friends who weren't Jewish, that's true. Um, they said, this course is called Biblical Heroes, and you know uh, your Bible so well, you'll never have to study, and you'll get an A. And I thought, yes, this is for me. That's what I want. So I um, signed up for it, and sure enough, never studied a minute, got 100s on all my tests. Um, and then the teacher handed out the Gospel of Matthew of St. Matthew, according to the King James Version or something. I don't know what it was. She was Catholic. And I said, I'm not reading that. And she said, I said, that's religion. We can't study that. And she said, well, what do you think you've been studying, Jackie? And I said, well, that's my religion, but I'm not going to study yours. And she said, Jackie, I hate to tell you, but if you don't do this part of the class, I have to flunk you. Well... Now what? Um, I felt totally betrayed by my friends, obviously, and uh, I didn't know what to do with it. It was like I was taking drugs home. I never did drugs, never have in my life, never will, but I thought, what would you do if you did? You'd have to hide it somewhere. So I thought, I'll hide it in the back of my folder, and then if it falls down on the ground and accidentally <laughs> slips out, it won't be on top, and, 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 and they won't see it. So I take it home that way. I... <laughs> look up to God and say, you know, please forgive me. I want an A. Let me read this. I'm sorry. And uh, I read it, began to read it under my blanket with the flashlight at night. Nobody knew then I was still awake. And uh, boy, that first chapter was a killer, you know. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Now, they're all Jewish names. But uh, I thought, how do they have 28 chapters of this and kill Jews? They're very creative people, these Christians. <laughs> this looks like a Jewish book, but they, they managed to kill us because that's what I was taught. The New Testament is a book, um, a handbook, a manual on how to slaughter Jewish people. Incredible. Don't touch it. Incredible. So I was so taken. Well, I had to read the first five chapters, but see, he was in the middle of this speech on this mountain thing so i'll kind of let him oh it's salt of the earth light of the he said that really uh i've heard that before somewhere i didn't know he said that and he kept saying have you not read have you not read have you not mm. read and i thought this guy's read huh wow. and he's quoting the tanakh i thought wow okay well chapter five he was in the middle of his speech on the mountain so i'll let him finish it so that's seven chapter eight he healed a leper are you kidding are you kidding? I kept reading. I kept reading. I couldn't put it down. There are things I didn't understand. You know, the Lord said unto my Lord. I said, wait a minute here. Can you what back you up one second? Psalm 110. Can, yeah. What? Can you back up one second? I, I don't know if you're ready for this one, but I'm going to go back to Donald, uh, Dr. Fruchtenbaum again. The healing of the leper was um, not just simply 
a miraculous act. Am I right? It, it, in fact, it authenticated the Messiah. Is, isn't that right? Is that? Uh, well, we don't have a Talmudic reference for that, but we do see that when uh, certain miracles happened, that the crowd would react differently. Right. To um, to Jesus, and this shows us there must have been something special about that particular miracle. Right. Uh, so yes, Dr. Fruchtenbaum believes that this was one of uh, the miracles that supposedly only the Messiah would accomplish, because in Leviticus 13 and 14, there are a whole set of um, there is a whole set of rules on what to do um, with someone who has leprosy who says they've been cleansed. Now, later we know that when um, uh, the only people ever cleansed of leprosy were um, Miriam. Of course, when Miriam, Moses' sister, yes. was cleansed, the temple was not in place at that time, and so the rules about leprosy uh, in Leviticus 13 and 14 could not um, have been followed. And then you have um, um, Naaman, who was Syrian, is never under the law of Moses, as Gentiles are not, and never were and never are or will be um and so he didn't have to follow the law and so they said that those two chapters had never been followed and they didn't know why they were in the law except that well it must be that if messiah comes or when messiah comes he'll heal a leper right right that is amazing that is incredible so the procedure for healing and verifying was there, but never used because it just it never happened or uh, there were the healing from leprosy occurred under d different conditions where that law didn't apply. But in the case of Jesus and the leper, the healing of that leper was was messianic. It wasn't just a miracle worker. It was the miracle worker that did it. Correct. Is that the and idea? that's why that is the very first miracle that's presented in the gospel that's written particularly with the Jewish flavor for Jewish people, which is the first gospel, of course, because the, the good news is always to the Jew first. And so the very first gospel is to the Jew. And so the very first miracle of the Messiah wasn't this one, but this is the first one that Matthew talks about mm. because... Um, this is what they were looking for. Wow. This proved that he was um, king over the defilement of a uh, person's skin. Awesome. That, that's just incredible. Go ahead. Sorry for interrupting, but I'm not sorry. I love that subject. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Well, anyway, I, I there are many things I didn't quite understand and you know, there were these publicans in there, and I knew all good Jews were Democrats, or at least I thought so. So, you know, I didn't know. It was the King James, so it was very hard for me. to. It wasn't that hard, but it was hard enough. Anyway, I finally got to the end of the gospel, and where you've got um, the chief priests who get a visit from the soldiers who say, hey, the body's gone, and the priests pay him off and say, well— just tell everybody that the apostles came during the night while you were asleep and took them away. Of course, that doesn't hold water, because how do you know what happened last night, Joe, when you were sleeping? Right, right. Um, you don't. But uh, I actually believed it, and so do all mm. Jews believe 
that this body was stolen um, by the apostles, and then they claimed that he was resurrected, but actually, you know, it was just stolen. So I thought, well, I know that. And now the next verse in the King James says, and it is still believed among Jews to this day. Wow. I thought, wait a minute. How did they know that? My Uncle Vic, my Aunt Sylvia, (laughs) my Uncle Sam, uh, you know, my Aunt Libby. We all know this is true. I mean, of course it is. And now they know that we still believe this? How do they know this? This book is maybe not 2,000 years old. They've been killing us for at least 1,000 years. I'll give this book 1,000 years, not two. Mm. How did they know 1,000 years ago that that's what we were all going to believe? Maybe there's something to this book. Wow. Well, I went to bed. I wasn't going to read anything else. Of course, I that's all I had. And after we studied Matthew, I actually um, we actually studied Revelation, which for me was like somebody who'd taken bad drugs and was on a bad trip or something. I mean, this was just wild, crazy, and I didn't, you know, follow anything in it. But I was stuck in Matthew because Matthew quotes the Tanakh over 90 times, and um, this is seemed to fit with what I'd been taught and uh, just wanted to know more and I underlined all the things I didn't understand and asked friends and um, during that time I uh, was grounded by my parents for the weekend and didn't have anything better to do than to clean out my purse where I found that card that had gone in there months before I could barely read it the ink was flaking off but I decided to call that number to get that good news Hmm. and i heard a message with tanakh verses only talking about a messiah that sounded a lot like jesus but i knew my tanakh didn't say those things that was theirs so i hung up the phone and then i thought you know what i'm going to call back and write all those places down and prove that they're wrong and i did and yet my scriptures said the same thing. Now, they got one wrong in my mind because my uh, Isaiah 7:14 didn't say a virgin would conceive and bear. It said a young woman would in the Jewish Publication Society version from 1942, I think, or 44. Um, but all the rest of them were right. And I had already been shown a list from a friend who actually had a book that Mormons put out on how Jesus's life was prophesied in the Tanakh, in my scriptures. And I mean, anybody can go jump on a donkey, ride into town and say they're the Messiah. But how do you plan what city you're born in? How do you even plan what year you're born from Daniel 9, 27 or 26 and 27? How Mm -hmm. do you plan that? How do you plan to when you're up on a cross that they take some of your clothes and they divide them up this way, and yet your robe they, they kind of cast lots for. How do you control that one? Mm. This isn't just all made up. And so then when I heard even more scriptures and that my Bible said the same thing, well, I, I was, oof, I was uh, thrown. <laughs> and I remember right after, not long after that, it was uh, about to be Resurrection Day. Some people say Easter. I prefer not to. And I was talking to my friend Bev, so I said, I guess you're going to church tomorrow. And she said, yeah, I want to come. And I said, sure. And then I thought, ah, not that one. Mm. Not that one? You can't go then. That's when they take the cross down from up front, and they go kill the Jewish men, rape the Jewish women, burn the village down, take mm. everything. 
And that's a pogrom, and that's what they do on Easter, and that's what they mm-hmm. did in many villages across Eastern Europe regularly every year to avenge the Jews, us having killed their God. Right. And so, um, no, 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 uh, wait a minute, let me ask my mother. I thought she'll get me out of this. Mom, can I go to church with Bev tomorrow? It's Easter. <laughs> and she said, well, everything's going to be closed. We don't need the car. You can go. And I, she and, and Bev know, knew when I was lying, even just on the phone. She said, oh, what did your mother say? I said, well, I can go. But I'm not taking our car. Our car's not going to be in that parking lot on that day. You got it? She said, we'll pick you up. Uh, so I went, fear and trembling. I had about five questions I had not yet asked anybody. I don't remember the five. I remember one. And one was, how does the blood of the Messiah or Jesus cleanse anything? I knew that if I got a blood stain on my shirt or something, it was a stain. It was a problem. It didn't clean anything. It got it dirty. How did blood cleanse me from sin? didn't make sense. Now, I knew that everybody who was not Jewish was Christian, unless they kind of like had a turban on their head or they looked obviously from another ethnic group. So we go into this church, and the pastor stands up front, and he says right off the bat, I know some of you out there aren't Christian. And I looked around, (laughs) and they were all white people who weren't Jewish, so that meant they were Christian. Except me, I was the Jew. Mm. He knew I was there. (laughs) And I got scared, because is he going to single me out? I mean, this is Easter. This is the day they get violent. And he said, and some of you are wondering how the blood of Christ can cleanse you from your sins. You could have fit an entire watermelon in my mouth. I was so shocked. I was, my jaw dropped. I mean, I was like, what? Man, did you tell him I was coming to see? No, I don't know. He knows I'm here. Just, what are you talking about? Church quiet. <laughs> well, I'm going to answer your question. And he goes, I thought he was going to go to his Jesus verses. No, he goes to Genesis. And he talks about how in the garden, God killed an animal. The first time blood hit the ground was to cover the uh, sin of Adam and Eve. And that's how blood made atonement and cleansed them from their sin. And then how God um, provided um, for, you know, a, a man would bring a, a uh, an offering and, and that would cover his sin, or an, uh, an unwilling sin, something that he was unconscious of. Willing said there's never atonement for that. Or that there was blood on the door at the Exodus. I mean, we all know that. That protected the firstborn, mm-hmm. not from sin, but still it was protection somehow. It mm-hmm. covered. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the high priest in Leviticus um, 16 that is offering blood for himself and then for the whole congregation of Israel on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And this Jesus' blood covered the whole world. Mind-blowing. Then my second question came into my head, and he answered it. He asked it first, and then he answered it, all from the Old Testament. And he did the same with questions three, four, and five, in order as they came into my head. I'm telling you, Joe, I was hyperventilating. Um, wow. I, I, we stood up for a hymn, and I about fell over. 
I didn't know what to think anymore. Now, every last one of my questions had been answered. Every last one. And he gives one of his invitations. And this time, I feel that pull big time. And I said, I thought to myself, they'll kill me if I believe this. I can't do this. Mm. And my friend Bev said, well, I've never been baptized. I should go up there. I said, go, go, go. You've got to get up there. Somebody's got to go up there. <laughs> she looked at me like, what's come over you? I mean, we had... We were singing seven verses of Just As I Am that I didn't know how I would survive. But I finally survived the seventh verse, sat down, thought it's all over. I'm going to get out of here. And the guy said, the pastor said, I know some of you still aren't Christian. I thought, this guy will not give up. And he said, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I thought, oh, yeah, one of your Jesus prayers. I'm not interested. He said, let's turn to Psalm 139, a Psalm of David. And Bev elbows me and says, ha, it's kosher. So we turn to Psalm 139, and she shows it to me. She has the Bible. I don't search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So God, check me out. See if there be any hurtful way within me. Am I on the wrong path, God? And lead me in the everlasting way. Okay, look at me, God. Is there something wrong? And if there's something I need to do, show me what it is. I thought, okay, that's a legit prayer. But if he prays it in Jesus' name, I'm taking every single last word back. You got it, God? I never prayed it. He prays it in Jesus' name, this Southern Baptist man, (laughs) on Resurrection Day. Because on that Resurrection Day, you see, he did not use one verse from the New Testament. Beautiful, beautiful. And he did not pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Now, the very next morning, there were signs up all over my high school saying, what? The liberated Wailing Wall was coming to sing Hebrew and Christian folk songs, whatever that was. A liberated Wailing Wall? I'd never heard of that in my life. But it would get me out of going home, you know, early after school. I could take the late bus home, stay away from home. My relationship with my parents wasn't good. I'll go. So that was Monday after Resurrection Day Sunday. Thursday, I see another poster. This is the day of the concert. And it had three words that you never put together. Choose for Jesus. I was about to rip it off the wall, but I thought it had the student council stamp of approval. And since I was a legalist, I left it on. And I heard... I, I, I saw that poster, and I saw they were at the same time, same place as where I was going to these liberated wall people. And that's when I heard it. And people may or may not believe me. It makes no difference. But I heard a voice in my ears, physical voice, not just in my head. It was in my ears. And it said, Jackie, there is your answer. And I looked 30 feet to my right. I looked 20 feet to my left. I looked behind me to see who had just spoken to me, and there was no one in the hallway. And my heart about leapt out of, leapt out of my chest, and I thought, that's God, that's an angel, that's something. I better go. But by the end of the day, I decided, this is religion in the schools. They can't do that. I'm going to stop them. So Jewish Defense League Jackie was back. I'm going to kick in their drums, pull out their guitar strings. They can't do this. But when I got to the place in the student in the uh, in the student lounge where they were playing, they had already started, and they looked like they were like glowing with light. And I thought, what is this? 
how can this be? It was just a faint light, but there was light all around them. So it well, was, you saw the, song yeah. That right. I knew from synagogue, I'm Israel High, the people of Israel live. And I thought, mm. well, that's a nice song. I'll let them sing it. I even clapped my hands, I think. And then they did another song I knew from synagogue. So I kind of let them do that one. And they were wearing really cool embroidered jean jackets. And that was really cool in the 70s. And uh, then this guy stood up and said he was going to talk about how he met Jesus. And I thought, you what? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. You didn't meet Jesus. And But he had a really cool embroidered jean cap on, and he was, and he was cute. So I thought, okay, I'll let him talk. Now, there's a teenage girl for you. I had uh, just turned 17. And uh, that was Sam Nadler, by the way. He's, wow. No uh, kidding. His ministry is wordofmessiah.org. Yeah. Wow. That was Sam Nadler. Wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> is he still cute? And well, Easy, Howard. Not Easy. like before. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's aged a bit, but so have I. <laughs> so uh, and I kind of let them do the rest of the concert. I was being very magnanimous, you know, and just I, I, I just there was something about these people. I didn't know what it was, but it was. Something good, something really good. And I kind of wanted what they had. But when the concert was over and they said we could come up and talk to them afterwards, then I thought I'll get them. Now I'll hit them hard. But I got up because I'd been sitting on the floor, and I just couldn't kind of move my feet. It's like my shoes were kind of glued to the floor. I couldn't move forward. And I thought, what is this? And I thought, okay, okay, turn around, act nonchalant. If you rush up there, they're going to think you want to believe like them, and you don't. So I turned around, walked over, sauntered over to a table in the student lounge where there was a newspaper sitting there. I just kind of flung it open anywhere and looked at the first thing, which was a headline from Billy Graham's column that said, Turn to God. And I flung the newspaper shut and I said, Okay, God. Okay, okay, okay. I'll go there if you just let me get there. You know, so you know what's amazing when you hear all this? When you hear all this? You're fighting everything. You're fighting every good reason for you to come to faith. And I'm thinking, what in the world would stop her? Why? Why such resistance? And you know what? It was the lie. It was the history. It was the persecution. All that yes. stuff stayed with you. And that was the basis for your decision to resist. And it just it, it just goes on and on and on. And this obviously is what's happening with many Jewish people today, is that there's there are these the dark this dark past, this dark history that's the basis for resistance. But just to to, to see and read scripture, there's every reason to, to, to receive Jesus. It's amazing, just amazing. And you know what? We're all I guilty. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of making decisions based upon what somebody says about a politician, what somebody says about economics or business or a neighbor. We all hear these things secondhand, thirdhand. We rarely go to the source, and it's unfortunate that we, we just don't go to the source and get the, and get the right information. It's amazing. It's amazing. Human nature. 
So it's not a it's not a Jewish thing. It's a it's a human thing. And um, I don't know. It's just it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind how how really weak and um, flawed we all are. Wherever you know, however we make our decisions, that we just really we rarely go to the source. Well, and we come with the prejudice. There right. was a woman I spoke to a couple months ago, and I read her Zechariah twelve ten, where it says, "I will pour out on the house of David." so she knows these are Jews, Mm. and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look unto me whom they have pierced. (laughs) And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And she said, the way you're reading that, it sounds like Jesus. I said, I just read you what's there. And then she said, but it cannot be Jesus. It must be something else, because Jews don't believe in Jesus. She heard the source, but she mm. came with such prejudice. Yeah, it's a good word. It's a good word. Yep. She wouldn't receive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good word, Jackie. Wow. Go ahead. So I walked up to a young woman there and said, I need help. And she said, well, do you know about Isaiah? I said, I know Isaiah 53 which, of course, is the best portrait of Jesus. Only 12 verses, and tack on a couple verses from the chapter before, and you have the most beautiful, complete portrait of the Messiah who came to die for us that I never heard that he came to die. And then she said, do you know about Psalm? I said, I know Psalm 22, which, of course, is a picture of the crucifixion in such detail, 700 or 800 years before crucifixion was invented. And she said, What's keeping you from believing in Jesus? And that is the best question to ask anyone. Because if they answer you honestly, you'll know what their real objection is. And I did answer honestly. I said, I can't stop being Jewish. Mm. And she said, you're right. You can't. I said, no, 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 no. If I believe like you, then I'm a Christian. I can't be a Jew anymore. I stopped being a Jew. See, there I was believing that it was Mm. only a religion and not an ethnicity, which I don't know about you, but I can't wake up Chinese tomorrow either. (laughs) Um, So she said, well, let me explain something to you. Do you know that for the first, I think, seven years, or maybe it was nine years, all the people who believed in Jesus in the beginning, and we didn't have Yeshua back then in 75. We only talked about Jesus. I had to swallow Mm. the idea of using that word, not Yeshua, which really what his name was, um, that they were all Jews. And, you know, in fact, there were some people who, with some teaching, that said that you actually had to um, become a Jew before you could believe in Jesus, just to have the privilege of of believing that, because, um, you know, you had to be circumcised first, because it was, this was too Jewish. You Mm. couldn't believe in him unless you were a Jew. And she said, you know, everybody who followed him was Jewish. This whole book is Jewish, the New Testament. Ding, the light went on, and I thought it's true. Now what? Now what? I can't believe this. It's true, but I can't believe it. Now what? And she said, why don't you come to one of our concerts tomorrow? I said, tomorrow is Friday. I'm in school. Just then a girl I never spoke to hardly, Susie Park, I remember, she came bopping up to me and said, Jackie, did you hear? Tomorrow's the county teachers meeting, no school, and she bopped off. (laughs) 
And I'm like, what? And she said, so you can come to the concert. I said, I can't get there. She said, we'll send someone to pick you up. And I thought, uh-oh, I've heard this before. So this man comes to pick me up. His name is Wayne. And Wayne kind of looks Jewish to me, which made him happy afterwards. He wasn't. Took me to this concert at University of Missouri, St. Louis. Umzel, we called it. I don't remember anything about the concert except my mind was blown. Totally. And they probably did the exact same concert, chances are. I don't remember a word of it. I was just stunned. And afterwards, the gal I'd spoken to, her name is Kresha. Kresha gave me a book. She didn't even have a proper book to give me that helped me get to know the Messiah through prophecy. She gave me a book on the history of Jews for Jesus, which is a little funny. Um, but I read it that day, actually, when I got home. And then the um, man who picked me up, Wayne, said, would you come to my house for a Bible study? I'm close by. And I thought, I'm going to go to a strange man's home. But he seemed like a nice guy. I said, I don't know where you live. He said, I live a four-minute walk from here, from where you live. Really? Okay. So I don't recommend kids do this today, but I did. I walked the four minutes, got to his house, and he had a whole Bible study on how uh, prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled by Jesus. Now, I'd already seen these verses, first of all, from that Mormon book that my friend had given me, and then also several of them from that recording on the rate, on the uh, telephone. And uh, afterwards, they were going to do this other activity. Well, I couldn't go do that because I didn't tell my parents I'd be gone that long. They were going to go soul winning. Now, I thought, I've won bingo. I've won Monopoly. I've never won a soul. I don't know what that looks like. I want to see what that looks like, but I can't go. Well, he invited me to another couple of Bible studies the following week. But by this point, I was going crazy because I knew it was true, and I couldn't believe it. I had lost my appetite to eat. I could not sleep hardly at night. I was not paying attention in school. And all I could think of, and that Superstar song was going through my head like gangbusters. I, I didn't know what to do anymore. If it was true, I had to believe it no matter what. But if I believe it, I'm going to lose everything and everybody in my life. And what am I going to do? I just turned 17. I'm going to college in five months. What am I going to do? Well, I remember waking up one night and listening to my progressive rock radio station, because that's what I listened to in those days. And I decided to turn it on 3 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is just all right with me. <laughs> Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. It's a great tune. Song was on then. And I've... You know, threw that off. No, no, no. This thing's after me nonstop. I can't get away. And there were other things. I just won't tell you all of them, but it was crazy for me. Again, I went to a couple Bible studies with Wayne. He picked me up. And then I went to his house again on a, the next Saturday. But this time, I planned to go soul winning afterwards. I told my parents I'd be gone all day. So I started handing out little pamphlets about Jesus to people in the park with Wayne. There were many, you know, there were a lot of teenagers, and they were all doing this two-by-two, two and I and, was— And you were not a believer. Not. You were not a believer. Okay. All right. Not. Okay, got it. In fact, one guy said, what uh, what, what are you uh, here for? <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? And I said, it's out of love. Wayne looked <laughs> at me like, what? And then another guy said— I don't get it. And I said, let me explain it to you. And I explained the gospel to this man. Whoa. But I didn't believe it. 
Wow. Wow. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. Wow. Afterwards, I remember Amy Feldman said to me, so have you prayed yet? Meaning, have you prayed to receive the Mm -hmm. atonement of Jesus? Now, I'm a Jew. I pray the Shema twice a day. I said, of course I've prayed. And she starts jumping up and down and hugging me. Oh, it's all And I thought, I have not believed like you. And I went home with one of those tracts that I'd been handing out. And I said, oh, God, um, I know it's true. I know I have to believe it because I will not live for a lie. Mm. When I witnessed to a cousin, she said, even if it were true, I wouldn't do it because I would wreck my whole life. I couldn't believe that. To me, truth was more important than anything. And that's one of the things that's sadly lacking in today's society is people who believe that there's absolute truth. But I said, God, in that book, in in that switchblade cross book, this pastor prayed for verses. Well, I'm praying for a verse. I need help. I need something because I'm going to lose it all. Mm. I can't just jump off this cliff and know and, and go straight to hell. I could if that's what this is. Maybe, but maybe I'm going to go to heaven. But I don't know what to think because I'm going to lose it all and I'm going to have nothing and I want to go to college and I want to have a life and I could be out on the street. Give me a verse. And I turned to Psalm 27, verse 10, which said, Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. That's Old English. That's what my Bible was, the Jewish Publication Society, the old version, which means even if my parents abandon me, the Lord will take care of me. And I said, deal. That's it. Deal. I'll do it. I'll wow. do it. Wow. And I prayed, and I, I got down on my knees. Now, because I'd heard Christians did that, I once asked a rabbi, why don't Jews kneel when they pray? And he said, because Christians do. I said, I, could, I don't care what Christians do. Why don't we do it? And he said, because Christians do. I said, I could care less what Christians do. Why don't we? And he said, because Christians do. And I said, Rabbi Asher, that's not a good enough answer. Now, I'm pleased to say that before Rabbi Asher died of cancer at a young age in his 50s, he actually became a believer. Wow. My rabbi, my rabbi did. Um, and actually, it was Wayne who told me about it. Um, but that, as I knelt down, I didn't pray a typical sinner's prayer. I just said, God, I give up. I can't Mm. fight anymore. I give up. I don't know what's in that New Testament book. I don't know how you get this Trinity, this virgin birth business. I've just got to swallow it like one giant horse pill all at once. (laughs) And I just accept in advance whatever is in that New Testament that I've never read. Whatever you say, if he's, you're the Messiah, then that's it. And whatever you say is true, and I just have to believe it and do it, whatever it is. Wow. And it's I that, believe it it's that saying. It's that saying. You don't have to see to believe. If you believe, you'll see. You know, it's the same. It's that mm. common expression. Interesting. Yeah. I've never heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wait to see to well, believe. Just believe, and then you'll see. Mm. Well, the weight came off of my shoulders like 500 pounds, uh, and no, oh, that's true. One of the things I didn't mention. Oh dear. Let's just splice this in, okay? You're you're good. Good guys are doing that. This goes at the beginning of my testimony. You see, my mother got pregnant when she was, of course, mentally ill, and she was immediately offered an abortion, which she accepted. And that was in 1957 when she got pregnant. And uh, in June, that would have been of 57. I was born in March of 58. And um, but my father was consulted. And my father said, no, we're going to keep this baby. 
and he didn't let her have the abortion. I heard later that he was going to jump off a major bridge over the Mississippi River when he heard she was pregnant. It turns out that was a lie. My, the younger of my two brothers always told me I was a mistake and I shouldn't have been. My mother let me know that she would have aborted me. Um, my sister always called me nuisance. I didn't know what that word meant, but I knew it was not nice. And I had one brother who loved me and picked me up and took care of me until the age of four. And then he went away to college and then he got married and I didn't see him. But without the love of that man, that young man, he was 14 when I was born. Many said I would not have lived. Now, you know, Jackie, I got to tell you. Now we're going to jump my, forward. Sorry. My mother was also offered an abortion when she was pregnant with me. She told me that you know, many years later. But uh, wow. it, what's amazing is you can see how hell has been after us. Yes? Oh, right yes. F- right from wow. the, and right she from nearly the committed and, suicide and, when she and was And how the Lord protected us. It's amazing. Yeah. So go ahead. She threw herself in front of a car on a highway. Oh, jeez. And it didn't kill her. Wow. But highways weren't, cars weren't going as fast in, you know, 1930s anyway. So, um, so we fast forward. It was not 30 minutes after I believed. It was less than 30 minutes, less than half an hour, I heard a voice in my head. It was not out in my ears like the first time. It was in my head now. Nobody explained to me about the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit, how it would speak to me. But I heard in my head, it said, Jackie, you were not a mistake. Because God wanted to let me know right away. The lie that I had been believing those 17 years, I was not a mistake. Incredible. And uh, now Wayne became my pastor, and we were talking. And, of course, I learned I'd been over to his house many times. I found out he had um, an answering machine, which was a new thing in those days, in his basement. And he used to hand out little business cards that said, need good news? Call 24 hours a day recorded message. And when he heard I had picked up one of those cards, he said, what did you hear? And I told him he turned white as a sheet. I said, what is it? He said, that was the only week the entire year there was not a single New Testament verse. Wow. Because if I had heard a New Testament verse, I would have slammed the phone down and hung up. Wow. Wow. You know what's no. so amazing about your testimony, Jackie, as, as I was listening to it, is the number of people that planted seed all along the way to help, mm. help you get to that point. And uh, actually, I'm a big fan of David Wilkerson that was across in the switchblade. And, uh, there you go. Remember that book very well. And he planted a seed there. He probably didn't even know it just through writing that book. Hmm. Amazing. Just mm-hmm. amazing. All of that. And that's how I got that verse. That's why I knew to ask God for help. Hmm. Now, Wayne, uh, I mean, it's another story how my parents reacted. I am happy to tell you that they are both with the Lord. They believed in the Messiah's atonement before they died. My mother, the year she died, and my father within two hours of his death. Wow. Many Jewish people believe at the last minute, but Wayne was talking to me about, I mean, persecution was horrible. It was very difficult at home. And um, 
I remember the time he just turned around and looked at me and he said, which junior high school did you go to? I said, East Ledoux. He said, you, you're that girl. You're the one who wouldn't let me talk. <laughs> he had been the Jesus expert who had come to my school four years before. Wow. I prayed for that girl. Wow. There's more. Jackie, you got to get to the part that you know that I'm going to love. Keep going. Okay, that's usually where I end. Wait what a minute. Is it that you- well, wait a minute. The connection between um, Wayne and somebody else. If I heard it correctly, this is the part that I really like. Well, Wayne. Who who uh, who discipled well, Wayne? My, well, Wayne discipled me for a little while, but. Um, didn't Doctor? I don't know what else you're didn't, talking about. Didn't didn't I hear this correctly? Didn't Doctor Fruchtenbaum? Didn't he play a part in? Was he play? Didn't he disciple Wayne? Did I hear that right? Um, well, Wayne. Okay, Wayne and Carolyn, um, his wife, are from Florida. Uh, he's from Tennessee. She's from Florida. That's true. Okay, I forgot I included that in there. It's been a while since I mentioned that. That's true. I like that but part of the they, story. Okay. All right. You're right. <laughs> They were, um, uh, they went to Florida Bible College, and they were trained under the American Board of Mission of the Jews. It's now called Chosen People Ministries by a couple. He is now with the Lord. His name was Daniel, and her name, she's still with us, is Arlene Rigney. And Dan and Arlene Rigney are the, um, are, well, Dan's with the Lord, but Arlene is probably the most senior missionary with Ariel Ministries, with whom I now serve. Wow. Wow. And there's the, there's the then, connection. You know, yeah, chosen people basically sent Wayne and Carolyn to a state they'd never lived in, to a city they'd never been in, St. Louis, where they moved basically into a house four minutes from where I lived. Wow. From when they were being discipled in New York. That's an incredible story, Jackie. That's an incredible story. And, you know, Hopefully we have a good number of Jewish listeners um, in the future listening to your story, and they're encouraged by what you by what you shared. And I mean, there are so many things that you weaved in and out of your story, you know, biblical uh, messianic uh, verses, your struggles. I mean, everything is in your story that should help encourage uh, Jewish seekers. One final word from you for your people please share something for your people to to uh encourage them to come to faith what what great message can you give is to ask god to show you what Mm. the truth is and Mm. then believe in faith you're going to get an answer wow ask god if it's true ask god to ask god to just show you what is true and then you have to yeah expect in faith that's what faith is it's something you don't see, you're believing in something you don't see, that he will answer you because he will. He will answer a sincere prayer, <laughs> and he knows better than anyone, even better than you, if your prayer is is sincere or not. And the second thing I would say, I'm sorry, you asked me for one, but <laughs> is to look for that answer in Isaiah 53. Amazing. Amazing. That's beautiful. Perfect, Jackie. That's uh, perfect. Jackie, sure. is there a way uh, people listening to this broadcast can... Uh, send you a message or contact you or what what would be the best way to do that 
Uh, the best way to do that is to, um, they can always go on our website, uh, Ariel Ministries, so that's A-R-I-E-L, Ariel Ministries um, um, is the name of the ministry, but the website is Ariel Canada. Um, dot com so a r i e l canada c a n a d a dot com um, canada dot com they can send an email to info at arielcanada dot com and it will get to me I give women's conferences across North America uh, in English and in French and um, would be happy to speak at your group and give my story of faith or if anybody would like to hear more about how the scriptures point so very clearly to Yeshua being the Messiah and really how our rabbis um, invented a different religion and what it means to be a biblical Jew and not a rabbinical Jew and to know that God will sustain you because I have been a believer now 42 years and God has always taken care of me. I had enough money to go to university, to college, when my parents would not give me a penny. I could tell you stories of God's faithfulness for the last 42 years, and I know that he will carry me until the end. And when we consider the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah, and we're scared of how we're going to be abandoned by everyone, we need to know that when we are abandoned, God is there. And you know what? I decided that I would believe, knowing all I had to hold on to and hang on to was God himself for the rest of my life, and had no clue of the entire, of the giant family that was out there for me, that I believe knowing that all I would have in the future was God, but there is so much, I am so much richer in family, um, spiritual family, and even materially, than I ever was before I believed. Amen. Jackie, that's awesome. May God bless you in all your efforts in this life, in the life to come, and the people that you touch and minister to and share the story, and you just you just give Jesus away. May he just, just bless you in all your efforts. Just incredible. Just Thank you. I want to amazing. leave you with a phone number, a toll-free number if anybody would like to call and speak with someone <clears throat> a little quicker than the email they can call toll free anywhere in North America 1-888-685-5902 that's 1-888-685-5902 that is our office in Montreal where I live now and um they can leave a message if no one is able to answer when they call, and I might even be able to call you back. That's wonderful, Jackie. If uh, I'm sure we would like to keep you in our Rolodex <laughs> and maybe do something down the road and just have a question <laughs> and answer time. Joe and I had a boatload of questions, um, and maybe we I can know. set something up down the road uh, to do that. So thank you very much. Sure. Well, I hope you do get in touch with my uh, director as well. He's got a great testimony, and he is, you know, a great teacher and a pastor, and we'll be good at answering your questions, too. Oh, that'd be cool. And you we can have, call, we have you your permission that to number and that email address. We have your permission to drop your name? Of course. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's good to know. That's very good. So, Awesome, Jackie. Very Amazing. Good. Well, very Howard, good. 
Bill and Joe, it's, uh, I knew, I thought, you want to do a 30-minute show. Okay, have fun editing. <laughs> no problem. Jackie, may the Messiah of Israel bless you always. And just thanks. Thanks. It was great. We're going to keep talking. Thank you we'll, for asking. We're going to stay yep. connected. Thank you. And I'll, right. I'll let, I'll let you know. You I'll let you know when it shows up uh, as a podcast. It'll probably be a couple of weeks because of the editing and you know all that. So we'll just keep you updated. And uh, alrighty. Talk to you later. Good. Take care. Love to know. All right. God Blessings. Bless. Yep. All right, thanks. Bye.